the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Right now, this is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week, we take a journey back in time. We go back and look at the good old days of the World Wrestling Federation, and this week, we're going to do it with the returning guest, our resident New Generation Superman, and I say that because not only is he wearing a Superman shirt, but he's drinking out of a Superman mug. The one and only, the great, my good buddy, my longtime close personal friend, Jeff Lane. What's up, Chad? Thanks for having me back, man. Oh, my gosh. It's great to have somebody on the show who basically didn't watch during this time period. So when I can get somebody who I love, that's my favorite kind of guest. When I can get you to come back, we pull you back in. We take you on this time warp back to the mid-90s, and uh, we're going to do it today. So are you ready to talk about the King of the ring i am because like you said you know if anybody had missed my first appearance this is when i had got out of watching wrestling in my youth was around this time so the majority of this stuff i did not see while it happened i I saw it many many years later um you know i know we'll get into it and stuff but like king of the ring 93 is one of my last memories of things you know my first time watching through so yeah, it's uh, interesting going back and looking at this stuff as someone who wasn't uh, who lost their their interest in wrestling during this time. It re- that is, and it's funny to be like the exact point where you kind of fell off was King of the Ring '93 because it's an interesting starting point to talk about. But the King of the Ring itself, you know, you being a, a creative writer, you being a TV guy, what do you think of the concept of a tournament on television, like a King of the Ring? I, I mean, I like tournaments if stories are involved in them if they're just straight winner 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 gets a trophy i don't think that works anymore right you know you, you got to have a reason to care who wins the tournament and i think that's part of the reason why the king of the ring has become what it has but you know you look at the good tournaments you know maybe if the world heavyweight title is up for grabs you can just do the the generic brackets and somebody wins at a pay-per-view but Normally, you got to care what's going on. The, the There has to be stakes for the winner, and what are the consequences afterwards for the winner of that? If they just win it and we go on and on with, with the next shows and totally forget about who won the tournament and it means nothing going forward, what was the point of actually doing it? So that's my take on tournaments. So that's why something like King of the Ring couldn't really work today because there's not a lot of stuff that makes a lot of sense, even though they've attempted it over the last couple of years. And the reason I thought of King of the Ring is because it's still being talked about on TV, but mm, it's kind of just like an afterthought. But way back in the day in 93, when we found out this concept was coming to pay-per-view, it was interesting. It was kind of uh, thought-provoking. It was like, well, what are they going to do with it? Who's going to be a king? We knew... King Duggan, Macho King, King Harley Race, Jerry the King Lawler. What are they going to do with another king? And the people they threw into the first tournament on pay-per-view was a hodgepodge of, uh, of superstars. We're really like, uh, yeah, uh, King Bam Bam, he's, he's going to win, right? You didn't know. But that's the, the mystery and the mystique of putting a tournament together. Yeah, and it was also for people that were just in that era of wrestling you know i know a lot of my friends just kind of started you know the 88 to 93 era you, you know they missed the first three wrestlemanias kind of wrestlemania 4 um you know was their introduction through that phase so you pretty much knew royal rumble wrestlemania SummerSlam, and survivor series so this was like a big deal at the time for a lot of my friends because oh there's a fifth pay-per-view now there's a fifth show so like this was something interesting it was brand new whoa the first king of the ring who's gonna win because back then at least as a kid you 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 would care who won you you know like the the wins and losses i think mattered more in that era just because you you watched it with different eyeballs than you do as adults so it was interesting 
you know, all the, the King things that you mentioned, what was going to, what was going to happen, who was going to win. But I think also a big deal was, wow, there's a fifth pay-per-view, yeah. uh, which is funny to look at today with how many there are, but. Which is exactly, it was like mind blowing because it's like, well, we always had to wait from WrestleMania to SummerSlam for this pay-per-view. And now it's like school gets out. And now we got another pay-per-view. And I remember that being a destination. You go to your buddy's house, like you said, and you, you watch this pay-per-view, but now school's over. You don't have anywhere to go <laughs> the next day. And it was really cool. So the, the 1993 King of the Ring is the return to pay-per-view. So we're talking new generation. We're talking business is a little kind of down. But they used to use this concept, but it was a house show driven concept. It was not on pay-per-view. It was not on television. It was done for some reason in like the Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island area for whatever reason. This is very, I guess the blue blood uh, nature of that area brings it out. Don Morocco, Harley Race, Macho Man Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, Tito Santana, and the 93 winner, Bret Hart, who was the 91 winner, are the previous King of the Ring champions. Did you know of the King of the Ring prior to this tournament? No, at at the time, no. I didn't know why these people were kings, you know, or any of that thing. Like, I, I had never heard of it. You know, maybe they mentioned it on a show, and I just didn't know as a kid. But to me, this was brand something brand new that I had never seen before. So, yeah, I had no idea, you know, at the time that they had, they had done these things prior, not on TV. Just for S's and G's. Uh, 85, Don Morocco beats the Iron Sheik to be the king of the ring. Harley race beats Pedro Morales to be the king of the ring. Pedro was like a glorified jobber <laughs> in 86, uh, 87, Randy Savage beats King Kong Bundy. Okay. He's all, that's already a king in the name. He'd be Bundy, uh, 88 DiBiase beats macho man. Who's the world champion at the time to be the king of the ring. So that's nuts. Like I had never even, I never even knew that till right now. Like this is the first I knew that that was the case for that one. Breaking news. And then how about this? Put your, your little kid, 1989 WWF crazy hat back on Tito Santana defeats Rick Martell. <laughs> to win the king of the ring in 1989. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And that was, uh, that would have done well on TV. You would have, you would have thought at the time. I, I remember like the, the strike force breaking up and when he, when Martel dropped off the apron, it was like, Oh my God, he's yeah. walking out. Like that's the first time as a kid, I had seen somebody walk out yeah. on somebody. And that was just like a huge deal to me. It's amazing. I wish sometimes I could get in those, the child mind and enjoy right? wrestling like that again. Cause it was cool TV, man. As a child, it was like, Holy crap. He's leaving his partner. That was that was like a, a that was a big moment because I that kind of be you know that began my uh, love affair with the career of Rick Martel. I love the heel Rick Martel. Oh yeah. First with Slick, then the model. I mean, just you know, a, a great, not underrated performer. <laughs> He's actually perfectly rated in the grand scheme of things. But that's another discussion for another yes. day. Um, but ninety three, they throw a collection of guys into this tournament. Uh, you see your Bret Hart's, you see your Lex Luger's, Mr. Perfect, Bam Bam Bigelow, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Tatanka. By the way, I'm naming all these off the top of my head. Thank you very much. Uh, and Razor Ramon. I uh, can't forget him. But we don't really know why are they, what's the rhyme or reason? We get a semifinal Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect match, which is like awesome. It's a rematch of the 91 SummerSlam, which is like the greatest match in the history of SummerSlam. But Bret Hart just steamrolls over Mr. Perfect. He steamrolls through Razor Ramon, who we had a feud with earlier in the year. And he beats Bam Bam Bigelow all in one night. Three huge guys. And then he's beat up by Jerry Lawler. And the king of the ring for 93 really went nowhere. <laughs> he, just, he won it, and then he went to a feud with Lawler over the kingship. But still, it, it really meant nothing at the end of the day. But it was a great tournament. Yeah, and you know, I've always wondered, did they do that just to start the feud? You know, was that okay? Well, he's a king. We need, we need. A, if Bret Hart becomes king, now they have a reason to feud. And because him attacking him is one of like my last memories as a kid of of watching wrestling. That was like a a big deal. I wow. remember. You, you know that was that was in the you know the Harvey Whippleman with the camera. Th those were like my big things from from uh, near the end of my fanship or whatever as a kid. So I all I remembered after that was I cared about Bret Hart and Lawler. I didn't really care about King that he was King of the Ring. It, like it, it immediately moved on, like you said, into that feud. But I still think the attack is one of their their like most memorable pay per view moments of that era. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you literally didn't see it coming. I mean Lawler was burying whoever was going to be the, the victor. 
and you didn't know what it was going to be. And really, look at that list. Who could have been the king out of that list? Logically speaking, King Razor Ramon, King Lex right. Luger, you know, King Tatanka. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, even when you think of all the kings, you don't really, and you know, Bret Hart won it, but you never think of him as a king. No, no. You know? <laughs> That's the interesting part because that kind of for these couple of years we're going to focus on 93 through 96. He the emphasis on the king at 93 and 96 are kind of the same. Like it didn't really <laughs> it didn't really mean shit. It was just like, oh yeah, he won this tournament. He's great. Uh but also on this show, there are singles matches, and the big one you just mentioned, uh Hulk Hogan and Yokozuna. This is the end of Hulkamania in our era, our, the, us being the 80s, early 90s kids. This was the end of Hulkamania. Lex, uh, Yokozuna beats him with the leg drop. One, two, three, the flash bulb, whatever. Hogan's gone. Do you like other singles matches in the midst of the tournament? I, you know, that's the only one I remember. That's the only one I, uh, that I remember. It's like, as a kid, I just re- like I remember like the big moments. Because I didn't, I didn't watch this pay-per-view at the time. I remember seeing all the highlights on WWF TV you know, the weeks after it. So I saw all, all the big clips. I watched this this show, um, you know, many years after that. But what what surprised me, and I, and I don't know the backstory into, into all this stuff, was, you know, it was Hogan's last pay-per-view match. I think he did, like, house show stuff for, yeah. for a few months, right? European but, tour. Yeah. But they protected him, you know, in the finish, which, which was interesting. It wasn't a clean Yokozuna win. They protected him, you know, with the camera in the face, which I thought that was a good special effect. Oh, absolutely. You know, it looked pretty good, especially for 1993. Uh, You know, it was a controversial ending. But the fact that they protected Hogan, I thought was interesting in his last match. Got to go up, brother. You can't, uh, you can't, Hogan can't leave TV looking bad. He's got to be some sort of cheater. But I can recall sitting there being like, well, who was it? Who was behind the, you know, the beard? Was it like Bobby Heenan or something? Was it some heel that was going to come out and feud with Hogan? We didn't know he was gone after that. We just were like, oh, man, Yokozuna's the champion again. Like, that's that's terrible. You know, it's, uh, it yeah. is what it is. The other singles match in the show, Crush faces Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, I, I don't even remember that being the, the what? match. What? Yeah, I don't even remember. <laughs> Just, it's it's weird because a lot of these pay-per-views, like with the WrestleManias, I, I, I can remember something from just about every – if you mention a match from WrestleMania 5, I can get a visual of it, you know, like that. Yeah. But, but the other pay-per-views are, are spotty for me because uh, WrestleManias I watched over and over and over and over. And these other ones I just watched once, maybe twice. I, I don't know what it was, but I never wanted to really go back and, re, and re-watch – full paper like full king of the rings or survivor right. series you know yeah i could see it i, I could definitely see it. and this one specifically you know if you weren't into it you were not probably watching this or, or seeking it out because there wasn't really that blow away moment yes the bret hart uh winning and the lawler attack yes hogan losing okay they, there's points at it that you, a fan would be like oh, i'll check it out but nothing where like you're introducing somebody to wrestling being like look you gotta go watch King of the Ring '93 like tonight. <laughs> like, cancel all appointments. Uh, there's that singles match. There's also a tag team match. It's a weird one. It's the Steiner Brothers and the Smoking Guns uh, taking on Money Inc. and the Head Shrinkers. Like, okay, but you, <laughs> okay you, for you, those guys. <laughs> yeah, but you, but just right there. Look at that four gimmicks. Like immediately, you, you know who that who they are, what what they represent, what they look like. It tag teams. You know, we talk about this a lot the tag teams in that era they they were just a team and they had a gimmick and you knew one and you knew the other unless you know the bushwhackers as a kid i got the bushwhack i didn't know who which one was which you know um but but they all had their own thing and 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 it's like today we just have two people that wrestle together you know i i miss tag teams that were were you know, a team and a gimmick and, and, and they had their own colors and they represented something and they had a cool name mm-hmm. that, you know, people talk about, well, tag team wrestling doesn't get over anymore. Well, what, uh, that to me, that's exactly why it is. You know, legit. If you think about it, the, the, the only guy that didn't have like the biggest gimmick of everybody was Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah. If you run down this whole entire card, like, even though he's the hitman and we know him with the shades and the pink and black, like everybody else is this larger than life, you know, overblown character or, or caricature of a human being. And Bret Hart would today stand out like a sore thumb <laughs> if you lined up the yeah. entire roster minus maybe two or three guys. So it's a, uh, 
it's quite the time, man. It, it, that's why I love going back and looking at this stuff. How about this? Who also new pay per view? Jim Ross, lead commentator for this show, not Vince. That's that's a big miss. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I remember you know the first time I saw Jr. was WrestleMania nine, which I think was his first show. Yes, actually, yeah. wasn't it? Yep. So different style Jr. back then with the, with the high pitched voice and you know um, did did um who was the was it uh, still Pettengill at this time doing uh, backstage? I mean, Mooney, no, I mean, mean, this was Mean Gene still. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Pettengill. When did Pettengill come in? Like, Pettengill was there in '93, but not on. He wasn't on the pay per views at this point. Okay. So yeah, like you, you kind of see like if this is J- Jim Ross taking over, um, you know, for Vince McMahon, um, you know, kind of his thing because I remember what year was it? Was Vince came back and Jr. was like doing color kind of with Lawler. Remember that? Was it like '97? A couple shows or '96? Vince. Now, still Babyface Vince? Yes. Babyface Vince would have had JR and Lawler as color on Raw for about the good portion of the entire Raw is War Vince era. So, like, all of 97, basically. Okay, yeah, that that's what I remember. But um, I don't remember, you know, the, the huge, you know, with Vince being gone. Like, it never, it was weird because... I always noticed, I mean, and Gorilla, Gorilla Monsoon was one of my favorites as a kid, but if somebody else, if Vince McMahon was calling the show or, or somebody else, I never, like, oh, where's Gorilla? But it was like, if Jesse Ventura wasn't there, where's the body? Where's Bobby the Brain Heenan? It was always the heel commentator that I was uh, noticed would be missing. Right. So, like, if Jim Ross replaced Vince McMahon, like, I, I wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have even stuck out to me as, as a kid because I would have been like, all right, who's next to him? You know. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of tend to agree with you uh, on that. Here's one of my favorite things to point out. Now, this is Dayton, Ohio, June 13th, 1993, the Nutter Center in Dayton. Great, great arena. Uh, the dark match for this show. <laughs> it's awesome. And kind of weird when you look at the next year. Owen Hart retains the USWA. Hang on. Let me get the exact title. USWA uh, World Heavyweight Championship defeating Papa Shango. Really? That's a WWF dark match on the King of the Ring 93. <laughs> so why uh, – I don't I'm, I don't know the history of that. Why was that title defended at a WWF show? So this was part of a talent exchange program between the WWF and USWA. I believe this is also in the heart of the McMemphis storyline, which I, I want to say I even mentioned when you were on the last time. Uh, McMemphis – I got to dive into it. It's probably going to be a five-parter if we ever did, (laughs) where the WWF goes to the USWA and are heels, complete with heel Vince McMahon at the time against Jerry Lawler and the baby faces of the USWA. So Bret Hart, Macho Man, Owen Hart, uh, Vince, you know, anybody with WWF branding, Giant Gonzalez, all heels against the USWA. That would have been huge imagine that you know if everybody knew that you know back then or, or if it was like today with the distribution i mean you almost think like wow that was nwo before nwo it, it really was and it's heel vince mcmahon five years earlier it's yeah. unbelievable stuff he's so great have you seen footage from that oh yeah it's all over youtube is it, it? i got it yeah. because i've never seen any of this i would like to see how vince was as a heel before the heel we knew in in uh wwf he's it, it flawless He's like almost like he's he's perfecting what it would be years later. And it's it, it's in that gray area of who the hell owns the USWA footage. So it's all on YouTube. I mean, it's like 30 parts. Somebody broke it up. It's like it's epic. And that's, that's something I, I'm dying to talk about here at some point, but it's going to take a long time. I don't know if I I don't know if I got that in my <laughs> arsenal right now. I got too much other shit going on. Uh, OK, moving on. So 94. OK, we all know 94. The King of Hearts, Owen Hart. Uh, you know, the rise to superstardom for Owen Hart at the King of the Ring. He beats Brett at WrestleMania. That's like his first credible win. Uh, but let me ask you about the qualifying matches. And this can go back to your 93 brain um, if you weren't really watching at this point. Did you like them showing the qualifying matches every week? And did it kind of gain a little bit more legitimacy to watch so-and-so beat so-and-so to move on? Um, what, what do you mean? Like, they, like if they went on raw the two weeks or three weeks before, or even a month before King of the ring. And they said, okay, uh, we got Lex Luger taking on Yokozuna and Yokozuna beats Lex Luger to move on to the King of the ring. Tournament. Oh, oh, like, so they qualify for yeah. the pay-per-view on free TV. Yeah. I always like that because, well, I mean, now I would like that 
you know, back then, um, this, this was my first year where I stopped watching, but it's meaningful. The winner or the loser means something in that match. Right. You know, so you're automatically adding stakes. And I think it's a good selling point to people. You, you, cause you keep putting it over. All right. Our, our, our brackets are starting to fill out. Owen Hart is now in the King of the ring and you see the brackets and you put the names up. I always think that's a good anticipation, uh, anticipation builders to do stuff like that. It's awesome. And I mentioned 94 because last week on the episode with Husey, when we looked at uh, Lex Luger, we were like sitting here with puzzling looks on our faces when we found out that Yokozuna beats Lex Luger in a King of the Ring qualifier (laughs) in 94, the year after the Lex Express, he beats him. This is like a great little nugget that I didn't realize until I went back and watched it. Luger's flag bearer for the night was Scotty Riggs. Really? Yeah. (laughs) But Bill is Scott Anton. And he gets distracted. Uh, Luger gets distracted on the outside. Mr. Fuji chops Scotty Anton and uh, leading to Yoko taking him out on the floor. But after the Lex Express buildup, just a Monday Night Raw countout victory for Yokozuna over Lex Luger. It was showing how far, how far he's fallen in a year. Yeah, and I remember, God, I, I don't know if it was recent. He had done an interview where he said the original plan was he was still going to win the title at WrestleMania. He was told that it's SummerSlam, right? You, you know, with the countout win there, and you see how that how that changed from that from like you said from the Lex Express to to this, you know. And I also like see ninety four when I went back and watched things. I realized like I one of the greatest visuals I've ever seen happened in nineteen ninety four, and I'm like, man, I missed this stuff as a kid. And, and you know, and it's part of Owen Hart's whole story for you know the year and everything, but. Him beating Brett in the first match of WrestleMania 10. His big deal. You know, he he's it's his moment, but then Bret Hart wins the title at the end of the show and he's yes. just out there staring at him oh. and killed it. And 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 like that set the tone for, you know, the King of the Ring win and, and everything else and in there. But like to me, that was one of the best visuals ever is seeing Owen standing there yes. and his brother winning the title after he beat him that night. I mean that's just storytelling that it's a lost art, that type of storytelling. You get chills thinking about it because that's what brought you back to why did you start watching wrestling? It was storytelling like that and the baby face is calling him in the ring. Come on in. You make it, you know, do this. And he's seething, staring a hole right through. And you can get that emotion, brother to brother, sibling to sibling, friend to friend, that, uh, that, that just anger on his face. and like, oh, I want this guy so bad. Well, he wins the King of the Ring 94. He becomes the King of Hearts. Now, the tournament itself, it's okay. It's a little crowded. Um, Nothing crazy to stand out. The thing that everybody remembers about this show is the Art Donovan (laughs) commentary, the former Baltimore cult. For whatever reason, they decided he should be on commentary. Was this the era, too, when he was in all the commercials? Like he had become big again on the commercials on TV? I don't remember. I don't. I, not that I recall. Okay. I just remember. I know. I know of him from football. I know right. his name growing up as a as a fan of football history, and he's on commentary for the whole damn show, <laughs> and he's terrible. He stinks. He's he's talking over the uh, gorilla. He's talking over the macho man. He's telling everybody how great they are. Does this guy lift weights? How big is this guy? Horrible. Have Have you seen the Art Donovan commentary compilation? Uh, the compilation, no, I need to check that out. But I did watch it back in the day. Like, but but I wish I could remember, man, because I remember oh, I don't even remember what the commercials were. But he was a narrator on the commercials. It was like some, I think it was for the NFL or ESPN or something. And it was in the '90s. I know it was in the '90s where he was in this big commercial um, campaign for football, and he became popular again. And I, God, I wonder if that's why they had him had him do that because it didn't make any sense. But, yeah, I'm, try- I'm looking it up right now. I can't even find it, but okay. yeah, it's, I, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me like, um, yeah, what was the woman's name at uh, WrestleMania two? Oh, on, Susan, Susan St. James. Yeah, yeah. Come on, George. This is my guy. Come on, George. Like you know, for uh, yeah, like I just remember like it. It just doesn't fit when somebody who's not in the business comes and do does comment. Either you got to be in the business or you got to be in commentary to pull it off. If you if you're in neither, it it's just like you I don't I don't think you can do it without feeling like you're just like um playing, you know, he probably felt like he was playing. You know, I wonder how much prep they actually gave him. 
Yeah, he just asked how much does this guy weigh, how big is this guy, uh, IRS, he asked if he's really an accountant. Like, he's just – he's so clueless. It's endearing, and it's, it is fun to listen to, especially when they, they start to pay him no mind and they just kind of glance over the <laughs> stupid shit he's saying. It's, uh, it's funny, but also on this show, uh, Jim Neidhart, who would eventually turn on Razor Ramon and go to help Owen Hart become the king – is in the corner of Bret Hart, so you get a reuniting of the Hart Foundation against uh, Diesel, a young Diesel, challenging Bret for the uh, the world title. Um, uh, there's a tag team match with the Head Shrinkers, um, but the other thing that kind of stands out here, the main event of this show is not Owen Hart beating Razor Ramon for the King of the Ring. It's Roddy Piper defeating Jerry Lawler. Now, do you remember this feud? I don't remember that feud. I don't at all. It's not good. You know, it's interesting when you lay out those names too, because you you can already see it. Like this is the post Hogan. Like what do we got left? Right. You, you know, and it's you not, see it moving on good. to Diesel there and Brett. You know, you you see the the new generation top guys starting to form. It's a long match with Lawler and Piper to end the show. Very long, much longer than they should have gone. The build up was interesting. It was a lot of you know uh, hijinks, uh, fake Roddy Piper coming out doing an impression. Piper was on location filming stuff for movies and he would send in like, you know, kind of guerrilla style uh, videos, some that he's very famous for, you know, and sending them uh, years later <laughs> to certain writers of uh, other wrestling organizations. Uh, but he does this in 94 and it's different when you watch it back. Uh, but he comes in, he's way, <clears throat> excuse me, way thinner than he used to be, obviously off the gas. And, um, He's like Hollywood, Roddy Piper. He's got golden hair. He's got a tan like you would not believe. And and main event show kind of brings it down. And as much as I love Piper to death, not really a fond memory. I don't look back at this and go, you got to watch this to see Roddy Piper. This is not a great one. Yeah, that's interesting. Anytime they have like the main thing of the pay-per-view not be the main event, I always think it's it's interesting because you're calling the pay-per-view this, but you're not ending the show with that. Like when the Royal Rumble doesn't end the show, it's it's weird to me. When the King of the Ring doesn't end the show, it's weird to me. But I don't remember that feud at all. And I wonder, you know, like, okay, is it they they think they're going to get a better moment out of that than Owen winning King of the Ring, you know, when they're, when they're looking at it. Cause I, but what what also is interesting for me coming out of this, you like we said, we never looked at, at Brett as a king. You know, but Owen's going to take it, you know, the king of hearts. He's going to take it as his moniker. And, you know, we see that going forward. You know, people win, become the king, you know, and that becomes their gimmick. But this was the first one that wasn't like that was on these pay-per-view shows and not the untelevised ones like that you talked about that took the king of the ring and made it part of their gimmick. So it like carried on with them. And you remember the king of the ring win. Yeah, no longer the Rocket. He's the King of Hearts, which is like the greatest. <laughs> that is the perfect, perfect moniker for a king, especially a heart. Because you can't see Bret Hart as the King of Hearts. Right. But oh, and you can. And it, uh, if it perfectly led to their big cage match at SummerSlam. Uh, and then 95, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because it doesn't really merit it. <laughs> it's not a good show. The 95 King of the Ring, I've talked about it the last few weeks. Crowd is, is chanting ECW the whole time. Mabel squashes his way to victory. Shawn Michaels is eliminated from the uh, the tournament. Razor Ramon is out with an injury. The Undertaker is eliminated in the tournament. And Savio Vega is the lone babyface to take on King Mabel. It's kind of like obvious what we were about to see. But the King gimmick did fit Mabel well in relation to maybe how it would have fit again on a Bret Hart or another babyface. King Mabel worked. The show stunk. Yeah. Would you consider 95 as their worst year? It's hard because it, it, yes, in a way, but I don't know because I, I would cut off my right arm to watch 95 shows versus the last five years of television. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, from, from that, from the, I should have specified era, the 90s. Yeah. 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 All right. If from you were the, the 80s, 90s, and I'll end it at 2010, I would say 95 is probably the worst year. It ends a little bit higher than it started. But it's not a good year, no. Yeah, because you know, like WrestleMania 11 was one of my least favorites in in that in that time. There was nothing really on that show that that stuck out. You know, the, it was the, the Lawrence Taylor stuff. Yeah, I get it. They were trying to sell. They had no Hogan, you know, again, and 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 you know, Michaels and Diesel or whatever. But I know a lot of people in that era 
considered this 95 is the worst year and you just mentioned all the people that weren't there and you know Savio Vega is the top baby face there to you know fill the card out but yeah I think with with Mabel it gave him some legs to go a little bit then you know what what were they going to do with him at that point yeah. they would have had to have something else you know as a gimmick so I think the king did work for Mabel and King Mabel was you know that's who he was he was King Mabel because he won King of the Ring now but but I mean I know we'll get into it. They're still trying to do that today, man. Yeah. You know, like King Corbin. They're still trying to do it today. King Corbin's been the king for a few years, and it's like, well, is that now what he's going to be remembered for? But what has he done? Like, is he right. is he just a guy with a crown? Like, well, what's the deal? You know, it's yeah, it can it's, it can help you or hurt you. But you know, it, it's like okay, the last time what is the last time that really worked, Booker T? What year was that? Oh, 06, yeah, that was, maybe you know, oh yeah, six. No, you know what? I'll give Regal. King Regal, two thousand eight ish. I want to say that or no no, it was Booker two thousand eight and like Regal was two thousand ten, possibly. I think that if I was to look at my timeline, but whatever. I'm gonna say Booker, yes, but also Regal a slight Maybe asterisk because he did get pulled because of steroids. <laughs> so. Yeah, but but like for me, like I didn't see a lot of the regal stuff. But with Booker, it worked because he went so over yeah, that the top was un- unbelievable. perfect parody, right? Yeah, and it was funny. And and but you look at the last two, which I don't think there was any in between. It was like Wade Barrett and Corbin, right? There wasn't right. any in between those. No, but they were ser- trying to be serious kings, and that doesn't work like it did back in this in this era. You know, it, it's. That's why, you know, the King of the Ring is mean is is I don't think it works today, and that's part of the reason is they don't have they don't have like a plan going forward with it that fits the times. They're still trying to make the person that wins an actual king, and that just is it it just doesn't work today. No, it really doesn't. So Booker T, you were right, was two thousand six. Regal was two thousand eight. Sheamus was two thousand and ten. Okay, see I didn't see any of that. And I got I have wrestling no memory for of it. a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> I have zero memory of Sheamus as a, as a king of the ring and then Barrett and then Corbin. Um, obviously it works better with a heel. Um, and if you look at the, the trajectory of everybody, uh, Ken Shamrock edge as the lone baby faces outside of, you know, going all the way back to Bret Hart. Really? <laughs> everybody else is a heel. Um, 90. What? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I was going to say even in the, in the attitude era, it was kind of meaningless to like, Brock Lesnar one like that was a big deal because that set him yeah. up with the rock you know right. but but Billy Gunn and in a lot of these wins were just it, it didn't really matter you know it didn't I think they got a title shot at SummerSlam for a little bit didn't they wasn't that the stakes uh yeah pretty much that was it I and mean, Billy Gunn didn't <laughs> yeah he didn't so I don't know what what that the stakes were for that one Triple but, H uh, didn't Okay, so maybe it wasn't, but I'm pretty sure, at least with Brock, I think that's why he faced The Rock at, at SummerSlam, or was that 2 I might be getting, it was a Hogan. Yeah, Man, 2002, who the hell? yep. Yeah, okay, so so um, I think um, that was, you know, and as far as the Attitude Era, and I know it's a little past the Attitude Era, but the, the winner was just kind of kind of meaningless and beyond this era, you know? Yeah, no, really, the Booker T performance was just out of this world. Regal is a again an asterisk because he got popped for uh, for using some substances and was pulled in the middle of his push, and uh, which is unfortunate. But um, you know, back to our era, we don't care about those years. Back That's to '96. Right. I mean, what are you gonna say? Oh man, wow, that was really forgettable. The '96 King of the Ring. Gee, I don't even remember who won that. Well, it was supposed to be Triple H. It wasn't. Yeah. And when you look at it like that, I, first of all, you know, I never saw this at the time. You know, you when when you become a, a fan again like I did in the Attitude Era, then you learn about this and you go back and watch it because, oh, this is where, you know, Austin was born. But I wonder what it was like. Did it make an effect at that time when people heard it? I, I don't know. You know, I, I would love to have known and watched that live and not know what was coming and see if that line struck a chord. You, you know, it's very interesting, but what you just talked about, look at the butterfly effect. If Triple H didn't get punished and they went through and he won, we may have never had Stone Cold Steve Austin. The, the entire fabric of the Monday Night Wars could have been different if the the winner of the King of the Ring 96 never changed. 
Yeah, we might be sitting here going like, oh, that Steve Austin guy when he was uh, he was in the WWF. Uh, they didn't use him well, but he was okay. You know, yeah, like, it, it's could have been that. I think people still would hate Triple H, though. I don't know. That's... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but man, you wouldn't have gotten that line. No, you wouldn't have. But that line, it's not like that line changed the course of history that night. Right. It was not until a few months later where it really took shape and the shirt took off. More than the line itself. It was more interesting that I'm watching WWF program and I got to turn the dial down because he's saying, hell, damn, ass, you know, <laughs> crap, this and that. And you're going to get in trouble if you're listening to, uh, you know, profanity on your television, especially with little ones in the room. But, you know, it's a great story. He, he got his lip busted open. He beats Jake the Snake. That's that's a huge victory at the time. But. He was still just kind of a mid-car guy. He, he's not even on SummerSlam. He's in the prelims. He's on the free-for-all. So, interesting. They didn't know what to do with him still right after he won. Yeah, that is weird because, you know, like you said, with it taking however many months it was till it started taking off, they if they didn't, maybe they didn't even realize it at the time that that was, that was a big deal. But, like, you know, a lot of people criticize. It's, it's just so weird. The, like, the butterfly effect of this amazes me because – you know, they make fun of Jake for drinking and all this stuff and, you know, the the Christian storyline. And, and and if they didn't do any of that, again, where's Austin 316? That T-shirt is such a big part of his gimmick and everything. And it goes back to King of the Ring 96 that hardly anybody was freaking watching. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's, I don't know, that type of stuff just amazes me how, how things are born, created, could not have happened at all if one tiny little thing changed you know it's just but wow the birth of the attitude era possibly a king of the ring 96 a lot of people say you know yeah unbelievable stuff it's uh it's it's just out of this world and just for those who don't know uh what we're talking about and been living under a rock and don't know of uh this promo the famous line you sit there and you thump your bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere talk about your psalms talk about john 316 well, Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. And then the Michael Hayes pulls the mic away and the crowd oohs, and that's it. That's all it took. It, it's, yeah, it's unreal, man. And that's unscripted. Yeah. <laughs> that's Austin. And, and and can you get genuine moments like that today when, when people have to recite something from a paper word for word, you know? And instead of Austin coming up with this and knowing I'm that this is what I would say because I'm this character, you know, and this is a good line and it and it fits. And yeah, we may never have something like that ever again unless, you know, the stuff changes. The Rock. What if The Rock was scripted? You smell what The Rock is cooking. May, we may have never had Smackdown Hotel, you know, Jabroni Drive and all that stuff. If The Rock was handed a piece of paper and had to follow it every single week, it, it it's like this is a perfect case with Steve Austin here. Just let the pros be pros. Yeah, Rudy Pooh, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one, Rudy Pooh. Come on. Uh, also on this show, uh, you might forget uh, outside of the tournament. And again, it's not just talking about the King of the Ring tournament. It's also the matches. If you want to go back and watch the Body Donnas uh, with Cloudy, who was a, uh, I guess you would consider transvestite, uh, opposition to Sonny. Uh, took on the new rockers, Leaf Cassidy and, uh, <laughs> and Marty Jannetty. Uh, also on the show, the Smoking Guns with Sonny defeat the Godwins. So you're getting a lot of fluff in between this uh, tournament. Uh, Mankind defeats The Undertaker in probably their best match of their little series, is this one, King of the Ring 96. It's on all the Foley DVDs. Uh, Ahmed Johnson defeats Goldust to win the Intercontinental Championship. Now, the reason I point this out, do you recall this feud? This one, no. Okay. <laughs> I missed a lot. Like, I, I never saw a lot of that when I went back and watched, yeah. As Vince would say, uh, tugging on the homophobia of uh, of a male superstar, like Ahmed Johnson, where Goldust had kissed him on a gurney or tried to revive him with mouth-to-mouth -mouth on a gurney. So when Ahmed Johnson's music hits, he barrels through that awesome King of the Ring entrance where we would have the two royal guards holding the doorways, right? Do you know who the 96 Royal Guards were? No. <laughs> uh, 
Well, he barrels through them, and these guys take a bump. <laughs> it was the Hardy Boys. <laughs> oh, nice. No. Were they 17 at the time? <laughs> Must have been. So if you go back and watch King of the Ring 96 and watch Ahmed Johnson's entrance and watch him barrel through the door, the two guardsmen are Matt and Jeff Hardy. That's interesting. Paying dues. I, I did not know that. It's paying your dues. And then the uh, main event was the just screwy double pin finish bulldog Shawn Michaels with the uh, – uh, the the Diana Hart love triangle thrown in there. Yeah, was that um was Cornette was this the one with Cornette out there? Yeah, so Cornette cuts the promo on Shawn Michaels. He's a you know he's a fornicator. He's a <laughs> uh, he's a home wrecker. He's this. He's that. It's a great it's a it's a great segment on Raw. That's probably the highlight of the feud. But they have the double pin leading to the next month. So the next month's show after King of the Ring '96 is the famous blackout where they lose power in, at the In Your House in uh, South Carolina. so Yeah, I never saw that at all. I don't know yeah. anything about that one. It's It was crazy. Yeah. It was a giant storm going through. Or maybe, no, you know, excuse me, that was the month before. Uh, but still, all of it revolved around this King of the Ring, uh, nonetheless. Um, King of the Ring, 97, 98, 99, it started to lose its luster past the new generation. Triple H, King, but he didn't do much with it. Shamrock, they didn't do anything. You know, Billy Gunn, we said, they didn't do anything. Edge and wins I think it. they even cut the pay-per-views to just the semifinals and the finals were on yes. the pay-per-view at that time, too. And you kind of see the writing on the wall at this show. Like, I, I just named four other matches in the middle of this tournament. Oh, and you know what? Five. The Ultimate Warrior and Jerry Lawler was also on this show. Yeah, what's interesting looking back on, on those four is the the variety and where their careers went of, of who they put the King of the Ring on. Okay, you got Bret Hart. You know, became top of the company, world champion, one of the greatest ever. You got Owen Hart, who, you know, one of the best heels of that era and in, in would have been, you know, at the top of the card, you, you would assume, you know, if, if his tragedy never happened. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of the biggest stars ever. But then Mabel, Mabel didn't get didn't get there. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's interesting to see when they put people... It's like when when Nakamura won the Royal Rumble a few years ago, that didn't do anything for him. Like Mabel's King of the Ring win, you you look at, you know, that's a big deal. Who becomes superstars um, uh, uh, after this? Triple H did coming out. You know, Shamrock, you know, didn't really make it to the top. Billy Gunn didn't. Um, I got a who even won in two thousand. I don't even. Kurt remember. Angle. Kurt Angle. Okay, so Kurt Angle. So it did. could fit him. That gimmick could have fit him at the time, and they were kind of plotting him with championships. But they didn't do anything with it. Yeah, but Mabel's kind of like the odd man out there that didn't didn't really make it in this era uh, uh, as king. And then he hurt uh, he hurt Nash. He broke the Undertaker's face, and that uh, was basically the writing on the wall. That yep. was that was all all she wrote for uh, Big Viscera. So let's give it a a, a final look. So uh, let's give it a a letter grade. Where would you rank these King of the Rings with a letter grade? Ninety three through ninety six. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else to say. What, what are you thinking? What, where do you give them? Uh, you know, with, with 94 and 95, it's hard to to really give it a grade and not, you know, living through it and seeing a lot of it and even remembering a lot of it. But to me, there, there's two giant moments that I remember. You know, Well, you know, I remember the, the Bret Hart and Lawler one. That was a big deal, I think. It was a good visual moment. You remember King of the Ring for that, obviously, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So without these two king of the rings you 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 don't have the attitude era you don't have maybe bret hart you know moving up and and being part of the you know upper upper echelon of talents um so i would give him i would give it a b um based on that because i think a lot of important things did happen um that stood out that you know okay the rest of the cards didn't really do anything you can't even remember who was who you know i wouldn't have remembered who mabel beat if you didn't say it you you know like there's a lot of things you just don't remember from these shows but i think those two those two you know the austin and the bret hart and lawler thing you know i'd give it a b just based on those it really a barometer of how the company changed from 93 to 96. It's interesting, but uh, let me just finish with this one. Now you watched the 98 Survivor Series, which is another tournament-based show. Yes. Where do you kind of – now that's got a title on the line. It's got the World Championship, uh, but is loaded top to bottom. I don't even remember if they have – I think they might have one, maybe two other non-tournament matches on the show. Where do you kind of compare a show like that where there's a title on the line versus this kind of gimmicked king thing? Where do you kind of rank them? 
Survivor Series 98 is my favorite pay-per-view of all time. And it's because of the way the story was told in the tournament. And when you go back and you watch it afterwards, and every seed was planted for The Rock you, you, to win each match, where Bossman's actually helping him by tossing him the, the nightstick, and it looks like he wasn't. And you, the, the big screw job and how everything... You were swerved with The Rock and thinking fully, and it was set up, and there was story, story, story throughout the entire tournament. That's my favorite pay-per-view to watch ever, not just tournament. So for King of the Ring to work today, I think you need something like that, where, where A, you, you know, you're telling a story through the whole tournament, and B, the winner matters. Because of that Survivor Series tournament, you know, that set up the whole, you know, Rock becoming... Uh, is, is important as Stone Cold Steve Austin at, at the top of the company. Right. And his feud with Mankind, you know, through the winter there was just unbelievable. And, and they really started killing WCW during that time. And I compare that to they did the Survivor Series tournament, uh, well, I don't know, five years ago maybe, the one that Bray Wyatt won. Yeah. Um, there was no story in that. You, you know, so I don't remember that one like I would the Survivor Series 90. Eight one, but the entire tournament tied into itself, and it was stories, and everything mattered. Whereas the King of the Rings, um, you know, obviously they didn't do that type of storytelling back then, but it was just all separate, all separate things, you know. So I think the Survivor Series '98 is a good example of how a tournament can work, and I think that style would work today. Yeah, no, that there's really Survivor Series '98 to me. I agree with you. It's from that era, it's my favorite pay per view of the the Attitude Era for sure, and I definitely didn't see it coming. <laughs> so I could t- say I I fell for it lock, stock, and barrel. Um, but yeah, it's a great. Uh, it, it's and it, again, it's interesting to see how it evolved from '93 to '98 tournament wise, but then also the WrestleMania Four tournament in '88 to '98 and how they they kind of changed things and the landscape. All right, well we'll. Uh, We'll get to say goodbye here. Before I let you go, sir, I have to just ask you one simple, very uh, investigative journalist of me question. Uh, Get My Go, our favorite uh, parody podcast uh, that you and I have graced the airwaves of together that I have gone on record as to say I would never even heard of had it not been for you (laughs) and me going to watch you being a Jeff Lane mark. But approaching 50 episodes, and that's all I want to know. What Can you believe 50 episodes of Get My Go is fast approaching and the impact this show has made on the podcasting community? It, it, it is kind of unreal. You know, I, I just by chance saw one of their tweets one day promoting, and I was like, what the hell was this? And I listened to it. And I'm I'm dying at Husey the entire time, you know. And and you know, for those who see the show, know my history with everything involved on the other side of that. So I never I never paid that guy any attention. But this really, like, fifty episodes of something that is just so bizarre of a situation that you would think this would be a show, you know. And if I was on the other side, if I was those guys getting their clips played, I would take advantage of that. You know, and they and they don't do it. But big, big congrats to those guys for 50 episodes. You know, and I and I like you know you, the last episode I saw was um you know where you did the intro. I I thought that was cool <laughs> you doing doing the intro to that show. So you've you've contributed a lot to that show too. So I know it's important uh, to you now. But especially going back when they're watching some of this stuff and and you hear what they say about that stuff, that cracks me up. That's my favorite part. See when you just get irritated at uh, the things that they say. I mean, how could you not? I mean, yeah. it, just, it, uh, it hurts my brain as a wrestling podcaster of, of as many years as I have been to hear that kind of stuff. So if you're going to just shit on it, just don't do a wrestling show. Just find something else to shit on. Like, why are you going to do that? Why you got to trounce on history? Uh, you're not making any, so I guess it's easy to trounce on the rest. But again, I thank you for introducing me to the world, leading to all the great fruitful things that I have had at my uh, my, my fingertips here, including the perfectly rated t-shirt which you did not wear today you killed me you didn't wear but it. i right. didn't wear it today because it's promoted on your own show but i don't know when this is going to come out but today's episode of castrating the marks <laughs> may 24th castrating the marks you will see the perfectly rated shirt on me the entire episode nice i think so this drops wednesday so they'll see that what this week last week well, i don't know the, this, if this, com- this comes out in two days yes <laughs> so this the newest episode the newest episode does vince like the shirt 
He didn't George, ask about it, which was uh, odd because normally when there's a slogan, what what the hell is that? You know, he asks. He didn't say a word about. I it. I got to get him one. I got to get him. Yeah, the you do. It's uh, sweep of the nation. But again, Jeff, yeah, that I, would be you know, uh, if what? you got him on this show because he was there during all of this, just doing the magazine. Yeah, you know yeah. that would be a hell of a topic. I thought about it. The show. I yeah. thought what I've liked about this show is I haven't gone to the era and brought in the guest yet. Well, I've yeah, actually, yeah. I've gone across the board and gone to the fans and saying, okay. What do you remember about this time? Let's talk about it. Does it hold up? Does it not hold up? Is it shit? Is it worth watching again? And and I've 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 had a few people who I want to bring in. Vince is definitely on the top of that list, and, and I've contemplated asking him a few times. But I'd like bringing in these other personalities, you know. And and really, if you look at what I've done across the board, I mean, it's really been a walk of life of every different kind of like wrestling podcaster or outside wrestling. I've had political guys come on. Yeah. And that's what's cool to see because everybody has their own story of this era. And and a lot of people, you know, okay, did you watch it or did you leave it? Was this even before you got into wrestling and you heard about this stuff later? Were you a diehard that didn't stop watching? And what did you think about it at that time? So it's so weird that there's so many different stories that come out of this this weird era in WWF history. It is, but again, that's why we're here. That's why we look back at it. And again, I'm dying to start the golden WWF Generation podcast, the Federation years, and you will be the first guest if I ever do that because I want to talk about WrestleMania Five. You've already dropped like five hints about it. So. Yeah, I love WrestleMania Five. <laughs> that that's my favorite main event um, of oh, all love time. It. Love it. Yeah. So when when the Federation era podcast gets going, Federation decline. I'm down. I'll be there uh, on your doorstep. All right. Well, we'll say goodbye for today. Jeff, tell them where they can find you, and we'll uh, we'll get on out of here. Everything I do, guys, Russo'sBrand.com. That is my day job, my night job, doing the podcasting with everybody there, chatting included, the great Triple Threat podcast, guys. You can check everything we do, Russo'sBrand.com, and I also do a few things on the side. If you want to check me out at twitch.tv slash JeffLane22, do some live video gaming. You can hang out with me, and I also have a Patreon, JeffLane22, there as well. Awesome. And if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Instagram and Twitter. The website is IBExclusives.com. There I've got all my cool autograph signing and that little world I've got going on over there. Check them out. TMPTEmpire.com for all the two-man power trip podcasts and everything under the brand umbrella. And there's a lot of it now. There's a ton. There I is. Even think the last time I talked to you, including the show I'm on, the Triple Threat Podcast with JP and the franchise Shane Douglas. I've also got eyes up here with Francine at patreon.com slash Francine podcast. And you could also catch us on the creative control network with Joe Feeney. Every single week we drop uh, the audio version of eyes up here. Whew, there's a lot of stuff to go over, but I think we covered enough. Go watch some King of the ring. Enjoy it for the one Jeff lane. This is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.